Jerry DiPiano, and you are listening and watching the Love Mia Vita podcast. My guest today is someone with whom I have had many wonderful and in-depth conversations, and she has been a featured guest on the Love Mia Vita podcast now for sev on several occasions, Dr. Juliana Hauser. Welcome, Dr. Juliana. Hi, I'm so happy to be back. It's great to see you again. And um, for those of you that don't know about Dr. Juliana Hauser, just a brief introduction about her distinguished background. Dr. Hauser leads conversations about relationships, agency, sexuality, intimacy, and so much more. She is so approachable. I've gotten to become a friend of hers over the course of these many months that we've been working together, but she's also a consummate professional. She's great expertise and she's tons of fun. <laughs> but Dr. Hauser studied and received her PhD in counseling education from the College of William and Mary, and she is considered a thought leader and a sexpert, diving deep into the hard to have conversations that all of us need to be having. Dr. Juliana has spent decades counseling and supporting thousands of individuals and partners on their paths to discover their sexual agency, relationship intimacy, and fulfilling sexual connection. The jewel of Dr. Juliana's offering is her revealed course, and I encourage you to check it out. Where can you find that? Go to drjuliana.com. That's dr-juliana.com to learn more about her. If you would like to counsel with her, she is available for virtual counseling, or if you happen to live in the state of Kentucky and you want to travel to see her in person, I would also encourage you to consider that as an option. So Dr. Juliana, welcome. Oh, thank you. Thank you for a beautiful introduction. Absolutely. And I'm so honored to call you a friend too. Absolutely, absolutely. And today's conversation is about how you keep the music playing. I borrowed that from a favorite tune from the 80s, um, Jeff, uh, excuse me, James Ingram. How do you keep the music playing? This song is all about how we keep the spark alive. How do you make it last? What he's really referring to is how relationships constantly change and how we keep that love light burning. And that's what we're going to discuss today. So love has to be nurtured or it will wither. It cannot thrive. It's just like a plant. You, you know, we, we've all had the experience of that, you know, beautiful orchid. <clears throat> you overwater it. <clears throat> or perhaps you forget about it and it dies. And so the beauty starts to wither. So I guess the question is, what are some of the indicators? So what are the signs that we're losing the spark? Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's interesting because we're, we are, and I'm so excited you're using this topic uh, as our focus. It's, it's overlooked quite a bit. And it's a confusing concept, the concept of love and the concept of connection um, and putting in that the spark that we have. It, those are three similar but different things. And yet it's everywhere. Movies, the songs, it is and a lot, lots of um, 
lots of topics and lots of studies, but yet what, what are we really saying that we are needing and wanting? And at the same time, we know when it's missing. And for me, what, what the signs are, uh, it varies from couple to couple, but I think that um, when you're in the relationships that I work with that are the most fulfilled and have a long-term fulfillment quality to it, is that they describe their person as their person. Like they are the person, not the only person in the world for them, but that's their person, the person that they call and want to talk with when something wonderful happens and the person that they want to share things with when it's hard. When that changes, that dynamic changes, and we were talking about the lyrics of that great song previously about the best friend part of it. Um, when that changes, that's when I really start seeing the withering um, occurring in a spark losing. And that can be in the friendship aspect and also in the sexual aspect as well. But I, I, uh, once I started seeing like themes of this, I, I really wanted to explore deeper, like what is it when people would talk about love, what are we really talking about? Um, and when I started asking people, it was similar to asking them, what is sexuality? There's just a whole variety. There's not really a consensus of it. What is the consensus of what love is and how you know when you feel it? Kind of like pornography in, in 64, you, you, you know it when you see it. That's kind of how love can feel sometimes. And, and we can try everything we can to define it, but it's still a, a bit elusive. I, um, I, I often then move past the, the word love and ask um, something that Brene Brown had brought to light that was already in the counseling world, which is con connection of being wanted, being seen and being valued. And I think those three categories really are what make up when you feel loved by somebody differently than caring for somebody. And that you feel that somebody wants you, not just sexually, but just in general, like I want to call you, I want to tell you. Um, and they receive that, they see you, they really understand who you are, maybe better than you, and protect that beautiful part of you, and, and then that they value you, that you have worth in their life, and that you are somebody that um, is going to come, not always before others, but are going to, um, to be somebody that matters more than most, and when that changes, when you don't feel wanted in the same way, when you don't feel seen, when all of a sudden you feel like you have just changed into different people or the strengths that you bring to people no longer something that your partner values, that's when I really see the spark leaving. And what happens inside of, uh, like or outside of sexual connection invariably happens inside. So you'll see those things starting or being a part of their sexual life, just as you will about their romantic and friendship life. You know, we're always, we are constantly changing. And I remember the day when, when I decided that my best friend was really somebody that I had a significant romantic interest in. By the way, it's my husband of 36 years, Michael. So um, he should feel proud of that. But um, no, stepping back and I look at that, we couldn't keep our hands off of one another. It was always exciting to see this, this person. And he was my person, is my person. And then we had our careers and our careers started to flourish and we were distracted, but we still felt the same way. And I 
think the best friend element has always been an integral part of that. So it's like what you've just shared with us, being that person, always wanting to share whether it was something really good or something really horrible, you knew, we knew that, that we were there for each other and that made us feel validated. But it also, it also has evolved over time. And for lots of, lots of couples, particularly for those old timers like me who have been married for a bazillion years, when we got married, we were children, right? Um, this is, you know, this does keep changing and, and you, have, you may have children or perhaps you decide not to have a family and then you have parents and you have other obligations and things get in the way. We see, we see other signs, right? That the relationship is starting to break apart. One of the ones that my friends will often share with me, and I'm not gonna, of course, out anyone, is that the constantly arguing, you know, the bickering that, that they, you know, constantly bicker and um, they spend a lot of time apart because of the bickering. It's just easier to be away from one another than to be with one another. Are those, are those signs, signs that the relationship is in trouble, that perhaps you really, that person really isn't your person? You know, it's interesting. I, I, I used to think that arguing was an, an, uh, a huge red flag for a couple not going to make it. And it often is, but it's not always. Some couples, that's just the dynamic that they have decided to settle and agree on. Um, is that the same answer as are they going to have a fulfilling long-term relationship? No. Some people decide that they're not going to and that they're going to be okay with that dynamic. That's not what I want for people. And I absolutely do think that if you are especially bickering, bickering is different than arguing. And But also, if you argue without having resolution, that's a very big red sign, a red flag also. Uh, so bickering means you are speaking about something that you are avoiding the bigger topic and you're bickering over details, but not speaking soul to soul to each other about what's really going on, the unhappiness and the unease, the growing apart, the, the resentment that builds if you don't feel seen, you don't feel wanted, you don't feel valued. We just don't use those terms very much. It just sounds like you never take the trash out uh, or you're just annoying. I've asked you not to be like this or like this kind of thing. And that's different than um, having just annoying things of being roommates, because part of being partners is being roommates and not everyone is destined. You can be madly in love and be terrible roommates with each other. And, and that's different also. So sometimes the bickering is about that. But if you're not resolving things and if you have a relationship that has a tolerance for a, for a lack of resolution, then I think it deteriorates the relationship, too. So we need we need to have resolution. We need to be comfortable enough with the other person, even though things may be changing, evolving. We have to be comfortable enough with this other person to have trust that even if you argue, you will resolve this. 
Mm-hmm. So when I, yeah. So when I say like being seen, wanted and valued is an important thing. And the other two things that I find really important is that you, you have safety in the relationship, like a, a, an emotional safety. If you don't have that, then it, it is not going to be a fulfilling relationship and it invariably will not last. Safety is pivotal. And the next thing is, is that when I see couples, I, I know quickly if they have a positive regard for one another, that is going to be a very good sign. And if they don't, if they don't assume goodwill in each other, if they don't provide a goodwill uh, towards each other and assume the best of each other, that it's invariably not going to last. And that's, I guess that goes back to the trust aspect uh, that you have implicit trust. Like, and, and I use the analogy of my, uh, some of my pets. I have a lot of dogs, I have three dogs. And we adopted this latest little rescue and he was abused. And so he was very mistrustful when we first brought him into our home. Over time, he has established that level of trust. And now he flips over and he gives you his belly. Hmm. And that's that element of trust that you are most, you feel that you can be your most vulnerable. And I guess in a weird sort of way, I do apply that to relationships because you're comfortable giving to your partner the most vulnerable part of you and that trust is is implicit and it is so important to the point that you just made is feeling that no matter what no matter what i look like no matter what i'm you know saying no matter whether the argument is a you know we're you know we knock down drag down argument i don't mean physical by the way and i don't mean you know foul play as in you know we don't attack one another personally. But if we are fair fighting, that's okay. Fair arguing. Yes, you should. Mm-hmm. That that person's still going to love you and you can trust that they will still be your person. That's where that vulnerability and trust comes into play, right? It does. And with everything, uh, not everything, with a lot of things that are such a gift and such a beautiful part of our world and relationships, there's often a flip side to it. So the flip side of trust and positive regard is complacency and that we take it for granted. So you want to have that implicit trust, the positive regard for one another and a gratefulness that this person and that you keep choosing one another in the hard times and in the good times and that makes it so that you don't feel like you are just people aside people that you're connected that you're that you are lucky Uh, i love it when i meet couples who think they're the lucky ones and they both think they're the lucky ones to have each other because that means that they are feeling grateful that they have each other and it is it's a miracle to have two people meet each other and connect and be able to keep that in a fulfilling way for a long period of time. That is something to be incredibly grateful for, but it's also easy to take it for granted too, especially when things are a well-oiled machine. You talk about complacency and that, that makes me believe that when we get too comfortable and we stop trying, mm. we, we fall into bad habits and it goes back to the nurturing and investing and exercising. So just, you know, if you want to become the best athlete you can be, or even if you want to stay in great shape, we know that it's important that you have a good diet, you work out, you have to work at it. 
And we tend to work at these things. And same thing with careers and other and friendships, friendships with with folks that we're not partnered with. We have to work, we have to invest. And if we don't invest, then those things fall apart, whether it's your career or whether it's your body. But when we think about relationships with our partners, whether it's a married partner or a partner that we've been with for many years, we still need to do the exercises. We still need to make the investments. So maybe we can chat about that a bit. Mm -hmm. We do. We need to make an investment in ourselves and in the relationship. So you've heard me say agency all the time. Uh, and I'm going to bring it up again today that you have to have uh, your own autonomy and self-determination in order to be able to show up authentically. If you show up authentically, then you get to have connections that feel fulfilling to you. But what you have to do is when you're partnering with somebody, you have to keep reinvesting in that and having responsibility of knowing who you, who you are. You have to do that. And you have to have responsibility of communicating that to your partner. And you have to have responsibility being a person that your partner gets to grow alongside of you and his or her own, her own way. And, and that that's welcomed and that you keep reassessing is the growth together working individually and, and together and then creating. So you have the individual agency of the, of the people in the couple, and then you get to decide what that relationship looks like. The relationship gets to have its own agency. When you do that, when couples are constantly redefining who they are, as a couple on their own terms and it doesn't have to be these huge things but they're just always reassessing that is a recommitment to one another it is a restatement it is a re-seeing and wanting and valuing of each other and that is what stokes the spark and the fire constantly it just looks different and i um i some couples can do that inherently they inherently know how to do that and it's just like this beautiful rhythm that is unspoken and others uh, we need to learn it and there's no shame in being in the category that you have to learn it the majority of us fall in that the majority of us weren't given that model or we're not in a society that really supports that too we're all just kind of winging it uh, in, in the comforts of our own homes um, so seeking outside help or watching others makes a difference and how do you reinvest into the relationship. What I guess the question that I have is examples, so techniques. Let's say that you are a couple and one partner really hasn't done anything. We'll use a couple of uh, a heterosexual couple um, because I happen to be heterosexual, so not to be offen offensive to same-sex couples, but it's what I know. It's, let's say that that the woman is not investing in herself. Right. So she does nothing for herself and perhaps her spouse is constantly reinvesting in himself, but then not not investing in the relationship. So what, how would you counsel a couple that is now they still consider one another their person, but they're on di they're in different places. Right. She's not doing any work on herself. He's really working on himself, but he's sort of taken for granted that it's okay, that, that she's she has sort of ignored all of her personal interests and any investment in her in herself as a human being. Mm -hmm. 
Uh, I see this a lot. Uh, and then I, they often will come to me when the role, especially if they have added the role of mother into that scenario and the, the children have launched and now what? Now what, who am I and what I'm going to do? And it is a very scary place to be. The, um, usually where I start is uh, a very simple and direct question that can be a little bit jarring, which is, uh, what is the point of uh, your partnership? And I specifically say it like that because it's a, it is a jarring statement. Like, what is the point of us being together? Not you shouldn't be together, but let's talk about the meaning of this partnership, this relationship. And you learn a lot about how people answer that. And I start there about the partnership because it, it's invariably what's happened is their value and their self-worth has become individual and not the partnership. And so do you need to still be together? And if they decide they still want to be together, then we have to redefine that. And part of that is, who are you? You, you can't really be in a relationship that's fulfilling if you don't have your own individual stance and personhood ahead of time. We hear that all the time. You have to be a whole person. You don't complete each other. You have to have two people that are whole that come to one another. But I, I think in some ways that sentence is uh, misleading because in, in a lot of ways, the point of a relationship, a lot of people will answer is to make your lives better, to enjoy life, to have someone to share your life with. And there's an implicitness of we complete each other or, you know, we have this, this seamless partnership. So I want them to simultaneously keep defining in a new chapter. Um, okay, so this is how this is how you did it. You individuated and just happened to live alongside of each other in, in this way. Um, now let's decide what is in this new chapter, who you are as an individual individual person and how do we does that partnership work anymore uh the next thing i do is this version of like roommate stuff of is there has there been an inequity of dispersion of household duties children if there's children involved child child rearing and what does that look like in, in this new phase of things um and and then supportive are you supportive of each other learning who that you are individually and are you willing to then put some of that in the like what works and what doesn't work I often will ask a couple, a person, but a, a couple is what is a compromise for the relationship and what's a compromise of your soul? And if you don't know the answer to that on, on different parts of your relationship, then that means you have so much work to do on who you are. And that's an exciting thing. I don't find that to be the worst news. And it's a grieving process. Like when I meet somebody who's at that place, they are often grieving first. But my job, or I think my job, is to be like the hope provider and the cheer, like, okay, so this wasn't working. Let's find what works and let's figure out who you are. And if you all choose to commit to each other and to stay together, then let's let's do the, the other piece, the third part of the braid. I, I always talk about a relationship being a braid, those three parts of a, of a, of a braid. Let's do that third part of decide this, who are who you're going to be as a couple and how can you individually support each other in that growth? So you you need to do a lot of work um, with the self-assessment. So take the example that we just used. First, you do your own inventory. Decide, okay, where am I? What's what's the baseline? Where am I starting? And do my do an inventory, figure out who am I? What am I doing for myself? How have I changed? What do I need to do to get to a better place where I really value me? Right? So it's you know, fill my cup up first, 
value my, you know, do I want to, you know, establish another hobby? Do I want to get back into a career if I've left my career for child rearing? Do I want to change careers? Do I want to stop working? <clears throat> because now I have the liberty of doing so. You know, my kids are out of school and I don't need those, you know, that tuition payment anymore. Um, and so I have a lot of freedom. But what am I going to do next? So it's investing in yourself. And then it's doing the same for your partner. So your partner has to do this. This is an individual activity, but then it comes together as a couple activity to do that inventory. Where are we now? Right? Well, I'm a whole person, you're a whole person. And you have to do all that in grocery shop and shower. It's a lot. It's a lot to do at once. <laughs> But, but we do, we do need to do that. And we need to be each other's cheerleader in order again, to go back to that wanting seen and valued when you care, when you value that your partner is his or her or their own person, then that makes a big difference. And it gives so much room. And if you want them to be in your life and you want them to be happy and fulfilled, that gives so much space and freedom. It, it, it does the opposite effect of what people are afraid of is that if you invest in yourself, that it's gonna separate you from your partner. It can happen if you're not making sure it's, it's within the bubble of the relationship and that you're talking about it. It's very exciting for me when I see couples, when one of them is cheerleading the other person finding parts of themselves and not threatened by it or not pushed away by it. And that when you're, if you're the person that's really finding new parts of yourself, that you are including your partner in that discovery and feel safe enough, going back to those other, other qualities, you feel safe enough to share. You feel safe enough that the person wants this and wants to hear it for you. I, I do feel like one of the, when I, when I ask, what is the point of this partnership? I I want them to feel like a, a well-partnered couple is someone who does feel like in general, not all the time, but in general, their presence in my life makes me happier, more fulfilled. Um, I feel better. They feel like home, those kinds of things. And again, it's not all the time. You don't feel it all the time. You don't feel it all the time about anyone, your children, your family, work, any of it. That's not, that's not a realistic expectation, but in general, my life is better because of this person. And if, when you, when you go into those categories, it almost always invariably falls into those three to pay attention to them and use those words. And it, it does change. So again, I keep going back to this, you know, the song and the fear. So there's an, at least during the song, and I'm encouraging anybody who's listening to watching this podcast to at least play this uh, James Ingram tune. How do you keep the music playing? Because one of the concerns they have is how, how are we going to sustain this? Like we're so in love and we, we are so together and things are always changing and there's a terrible fear that it's going to change and they're not going to be in that moment the moment where you know everything is intense and it's you know the the sex is intense and the friendship is intense and they want to be with one another constantly and let's face it we love changes and evolves over time and i won't say complacent but that sense of comfort, that sense of knowing that this person is your person, always going to be your person, with that can give us a sense of excitement too, right? Mm -hmm. The knowledge that I am totally with this person, I am totally in love and totally in sync with my person, 
even though my hair is white and my skin is saggy and my breasts are, right? My body has changed. And so, by the way, so has the partner, right? Your partner changes too. But, you know, you, I still find you exciting. And I guess there are some additional techniques because let's face it, we have health-related issues. We have kid-related issues. We have parent-related issues. So finding that spark to, you know, because it's still there. If you're, if you're still on that page where, gosh, this is really my person I and I'm investing in myself and he's investing or she's investing in herself, whether it's a same-sex couple or a heterosexual couple, it's just, I know that I'm, better with this person than apart from this person. But there's still some things that we need to be mindful of. And yeah, there is sex. And sex is really important in a relationship. And intimacy um, does build that kind of connection that is indescribable. And I'm using my words, right? It's an, it's an indescribable connection. So maybe we can spend a little time on some techniques Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I want to say to kind of backtrack a bit, which is one of the things that you're describing also for long-term commitment is that you have to have a tolerance for ambiguity. And the couples that have a tolerance, like they're like, who knows what's going to happen in our life and who knows how this is going to feel or who we're going to turn into or how our bodies are going to change or what hard things are going to happen or what beautiful things are going to happen when you can step into that ambiguity together individually and collectively it makes a very big room for a relationship to have creativity and to have like agility and agility is a really important part of a fulfilling relationship and that agility is based in being you don't have to have everything happen out how it's supposed to or how you think it's going to that you can be flexible together so if you're thinking like of a football team how they juke you you need to have a, a relationship that has enough sinking or that you can carry each other if someone isn't that you can juke to how what life brings you and not and and know you're going to be okay individually and as a couple through that um and i think that does lead to a spark so does institutional knowledge. So when you've been to, with each other for a long time, you just know things about each other that no one else does. You have inside jokes, you have memories, you start, and as we age, we forget things and we can like finish each other's sentences or you know it. And like my parents, they've been married 56 years. And, you know, my mom's like the same story. Yes, let me, it's like, it starts with three words and my mom could finish it or, or vice versa, or they had the same kinds of memories. There is something very sparky about having somebody that has been had a bird's eye view of your life forever. Uh, and for me, like when I see like in my parents um, peer group, when like this was a phrase that I started hearing over and over again from her female friends that were losing uh, their male, uh, their husbands um, was I'm no longer somebody's number one. And when you lose that, that's really difficult. So keeping the spark of what that means going back to the gratefulness of what it means to be somebody's number one or just to have somebody that's ambiguous with you that is has institutional knowledge that is investing in you um is is so special and sometimes you just need someone to recognize that 
you need someone to like say like you two look like newlyweds like you just glow when you talk about your husband you glow it is an absolute precious um, aspect of your relationship um and i'm sure there's parts of it that there isn't a glow to it as, as any relationship would have but even that and and what i gather and I'm, I'm writing a story in between your smiles um is uh is that you feel lucky and that you know that your partner feels lucky um, to have you and that you have each other um, but we don't always feel that way we don't always feel lucky and sometimes our partner does change or we haven't partnered well to begin with or what worked for us at one phase of our life hasn't worked and doesn't work to who we've changed into or how life has changed us and what you want to do to keep that spark alive. And are you asking uh, sexually or you're asking uh, just in general? So I think that there are, there are many levels of this, right? So there is the, why do you wanna do things with this other person? If you had to choose one person to go for a long walk, go for a swim, whatever you liked, whatever you enjoy doing, would it be that person that you're partnered with? Because if it's your best, your very best friend, and that is the way I, re I refer to my husband. I married my best friend, um, who happens also to be my lover. But he would be the person I would choose. If, if given the opportunity to do what I love to do, I want to do it with him. Mm. And I know he would say the same about me. It's not to say that he excludes his guy friends and his golfing and all his other hobbies. That's understandable. But choosing that activity, whatever it is, simple as it might be, car ride. During the pandemic, we used to go for car rides. That's what we used to do when we dated. Now we had a crappy car when we were dating. His car used to, his, the horn in his, his car used to honk without any provocation. <laughs> Travel in Baltimore City one time because the, the horn just kept honking. Um, anyway, um, but we would just go for car rides because it was a great way to sit in the car, ride, holding hands in the car. Sometimes my daughter gets a little annoyed and she's, gosh, you two are obnoxious. Like you always call each other. You're constantly calling each other. Uh, that's what I mean. So there's that. And then there's, then there is sex and sex. You know, again, we sometimes forget about sex and intimacy and that changes too because there may be illness and there may be and it can manifest itself as you know being a psychologist it's not necessarily what you see because sometimes what you see is the smiling face and behind the scenes is depression anxiety um, post-traumatic stress right so all of those things impact your ability to feel comfortable with intimacy and and you know how do we how do we work with those sorts of issues and still maintain that sparkiness, if you will, if I can use that as an expression? Mm -hmm. I, um, I, I use this word uh, cautiously, but it, it, it fits. I think for the relationships that, that have a spark, that is like a, you know, the embers of a bonfire that are always lit, there is at least one if not multiple things that is sacred just for that relationship actual spark um, again that's individual for a lot of couples but it's something that um, when you get creative the sexual spark can can ignite and i know many couples who are having in the same kind no let me rephrase that 
not the same kind of sex that you're speaking of in the beginning you can't keep your hands off of each other but not so different um it's just a create a different way of expressing that kind of wanting of each other that kind of passion that people have um people are having incredible sex in their 60s 70s and 80s and it's not a sentence that you're not going to have that those butterflies or um or that passion that can just ignite inside of you it doesn't mean that it can't happen in fact so many people are almost having better sex because they know themselves better they can let go of the other things that before they couldn't have just sometimes we have to have different aids different products like yours uh different sex toys uh different medical interventions and that is not a, that doesn't diminish a sexual spark we're just lucky we're in an era where we get to have enhancements and things that can help us. And we're lucky there are people like you that are running companies like Fem Pharma that, that, are, that can help us. We should be doing this. And, and that to me should be a sparky thing. I think when, when you see your lubricant at your uh, bedside table, that should feel like a spark. Like that's, this is my investment in my pleasure and in our pleasure together. It's not like a, oh, it's a yes in that and and i think it's exciting to find your edges as you're aging with each other and again you go back to the complacency it's very easy to get complacent and to stop attending to the wanting that happens in a sexual connection i ask people like, the two things that i really like to ask couples when i'm getting to know them is i want to know how do you tell each other that you want each other sexually how do you say it verbally and non-verbally and if you can't answer that then that's where we have to start because that is one of the key elements of a sexual connection is feeling like you're wanted. So you need to express it non-verbally and verbally. And the second thing is I ask couples, uh, tell me about your kissing. What is your kissing like? Um, and I have found I can teach people a lot of skills on uh, sex acts and sexual connection and an evolved way of sexually connecting with each other, but it's actually quite difficult to teach people how to kiss differently. Uh, one of my favorite talks that I've done is um, I'll, I'll, I'll talk about kissing and I'll ask you, like, think of the worst kiss that you've ever had. So I want you to think of it, Jerry, the worst kiss you've ever had. Can you think of someone? Yeah, I can. Yeah, see, it is. And it, it's it's guttural, right? It's like this visceral reaction. So bad. So bad. Um, yeah, I have my own story. And then I'll ask you, like, have you who do you think you are someone's worst kiss? Don't answer the person, but I'm just curious. And it's harder, right? I'm sorry. What was the question again? Who do I think would be saying that you're the answer to their worst kiss? Probably the same person. <laughs> it would be the same person. I was probably 15 years old, and he was maybe 16 years old, and we were totally clueless. And there's like one of those, you know. I'm just touching, just touching your lips. <laughs> your lips. <laughs> and, and I bring it up because it's we are all um, we have our own like kissing style and we have our own individual or our own skill set um, and not that you have to have passionate kissing as um, an indicator of how sexually compatible you are or that you're going to have this long term fulfilling connection, but it is to me the canary in the mind kissing is often the canary in the mind of the spark in a relationship. 
um, and it is a place where you can see complacency as well, um, or you just moved on. Now, for some people, you may just not be well partnered in kissing and you just decided to not worry about that. And that is fine if that's the case. Okay, So if your partner is the worst kisser <laughs> that you've ever had, but you're still with them, uh, that person, that's fine. But if that used to be a part of it, then I like people to attend to it. No, don't just do the pecs. Don't just do the hello and goodbye. Do you kiss when you're um, uh, making out with your partner? Do you kiss them in a way that is a nonverbal, I want you, I appreciate you kind of thing? And do you let the spark ignite in some of your kissing? Um, and if you don't align with kissing with your partner, then this is a really difficult but a really important place to start learning how to communicate what you need and want and to try in a curious way in a creative way how can we kiss differently uh, i think it's very underestimated you know it's it's interesting that that you shared that i'm reflecting on my parents uh, my <clears throat> my father was a true romantic my mom was i'm sure swept off her feet at least she says that she was swept off her feet and i kind of believe that but my dad would do this thing when he would come in from work and he would come up to my mom and he would take her in his arms and he would dance with her Aww. kiss her so and sweet. that was the way he was just charming that way he loved to dance and he also was very affectionate and they were openly affectionate around us when we were growing up we were, you know as kids we would think it was gross and yuck and that's, but they were very much like you, what you describe. So take, you know, take her in his arms. There's no sex involved and there's nothing disgusting about it. Yeah, as a seven or eight or nine-year-old, yes, you, you think it's weird that your parents are doing that. But as I grew older in my teenage years, I thought it was kind of cool that my dad would come in and say, hey, babe, and grab her in his arms and, He'd always tell her she was beautiful. You know, her hair could be a mess taking care of five kids and, you know, the house and her parents and all this other stuff. But he always took her in his arms and embraced her and whirled her around the kitchen most of the time. And then oh. gave her these, you know, one it was so affectionate. And there's, again, no sex involved, but it just, it was the spark as you're describing it. It was the spark. It was the wanting. And it was a sexual connection that just wasn't penetrative sex, but it was absolutely you were seeing that your parents wanted each other and valued each other and had a connection that they had with each other they don't have with anyone else. That's beautiful. What a gift. What a gift. It was a gift. And you know, I think about my my husband and I when we first uh, when we first started dating, after we after we decided that we were not just best friends, we we're gonna you know, be lovers. Dancing was always a thing for us. Now, I'm not saying we're great dancers by any stretch of the imagination, but just holding one another <clears throat> and really feeling that connection with our bodies and that comfort that came from, I feel safe in this person's arms. Mm -hmm. I really feel safe and wanted. It's everything that you've just said. I feel safe. I feel wanted. I feel connected to this person and I feel connected to them not just physically, but psychologically, that there is that depth of connection that I just know, no matter what. Soul to soul, it's soul to soul. No matter what, I'm connected. Mm. Wonderful. 
these are great life lessons for our children too. I mean, I feel very fortunate. I feel very grateful to, um, to have seen that as an example in my, in my life. Mm -hmm. And I really wish for that for, for couples that, you know, may not have that right now, but where it is still possible to reinvest in themselves and in their partnership, in their partnership together because the spark, maybe the, the ember is there, as you say, the, the ember is there. And it just, we just need a little cultivation. Mm -hmm. And we need our community, our society to invest in that and to value it and to support us in finding that spark. And that's not always the case too. Not everyone is blessed with, with that kind of surrounding um, or life circumstances that like in the hierarchy of needs that they have to meet other needs first. But um, I have seen, even when some of those needs aren't being met, some of the greatest love stories of all times, because people go back to those three basic things and they either inherently have it or they work so that they're doing that correctly. And those, that's also like when there has been a splitting in a relationship, there's been infidelity, if there's been just life stuff that has, that you just grown apart, that those three things are the beautiful foundational ways to begin. And I have found that when people can just sit into, and I, I will ask like the couples that I work with to speak soul to soul instead of like up here, but and not even in your heart, but just speak soul to soul. Like, let's just kind of put all the bullshit aside and let's just be like, what do we need? What do we need? And and I, I, I have been privileged enough to be a part of couples that have, when they speak soul to soul, you get to make profound decisions for yourself. And sometimes that decision is to not stay together. And that's one of the most loving things you can do as a couple. Uh, and sometimes it is like, it is, it is, we don't want to lose this. And so let's, let's get down to the basics again and rebuild and people can rebuild it again. I have seen uh, couples come out of the ashes and become beautifully fulfilled with one another and grow back to one another. And you just have to, you have to completely untangle the braid if it's gotten pretty messy. Uh, and then just start rebuilding it all over again. I, I think that that's also, <clears throat> excuse me, important for our listeners. It doesn't always work out. It doesn't yeah. always work out. And, and that may be the best for you and the best for your partner and your partnership. And your partnership may evolve into something other than um, a romantic relationship. Maybe that you're better off separate and can be your best person as, a, as another individual, but you could still find, and you could still find that person, your person. So I like to leave people with hope. Yes. Once they do the investment, right? Once they do the work in themselves and their partner has done that work, then you try to put that relationship back together and to reinvigorate it, if that's the right word to use. And it's still not sustainable. Mm -hmm what you have is someone who has made that reinvestment in themselves. And now they are ready to take on the next phase. Even if that means that next phase is with someone else in a different kind of relationship and a different kind of partnership with a different person, mm -hmm. their person, finding that person is still possible. Mm -hmm. it, it absolutely is. And you can, uh, the more you know who you are, and what you need and want, and the more you trust that you can show up to somebody else authentically who you are, then you can partner in a different way. 
and have another soul to soul connection that feels fulfilling and sparky for you. And that's beautiful. There's always hope, especially if you sink into the truth of who you are and can show other people all of that. If people just spoke soul to soul, we'd have a very different way of being. Yes, we would. And I have to say this conversation, as always, has been very enlightening. It, it's always enlightening for me. I hadn't thought about the kissing thing, Juliana. I, <laughs> I love this conversation about the spark because it is so reminiscent of everything in this wonderful song that you can keep the music playing. Yes, you can make it last. Um, if you can be the best of friends, you can be the best of lovers. It just comes down to that being that person for one another and bearing your, being able to be very mindful of your soul and speaking the truth of your soul. Mm -hmm. And I believe that's what I heard from you today, Juliana. You did. Beautifully stated, Jerry. I want to thank Dr. Juliana Hauser who is our guest on the Love Me Evita podcast. Dr. Juliana is a regular, and I would encourage you to check out all of our Love Me Evita podcasts, but especially those with Dr. Juliana, who is our expert, sexpert, and who's also just an incredible, incredible counselor to many men and women and couples. So Dr. J, thank Aww. you once again. Thank you. I love and adore you. I'm a, I'm a president of your fan club. Yeah, thank you. And we, we share that we're mute, the mutual admiration. <laughs> <laughs> this has been the Love Mia Vita podcast. I'm Jerry DiPiano signing off with Dr. Juliana Hauser. Mm -hmm.